Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Everybody and welcome along to a very special midweek motorsport. It's just after three o'clock where I am in the afternoon, and where I am is Canadian Tire Motorsport Park overlooking the final corner. Uh, just after eight o'clock in the UK. Lovely to have your company. Getting ready for a very, very busy weekend across the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Uh, not one, not two, not three but four different events this weekend and elements of all of them are all of them or elements thereof are all in sound and vision um it's going to be an absolutely cracking weekend uh, as far as uh, as as quality coverage uh, as well is concerned um i'm not even going to try and go through it all suffice to say you're going to spend a bit of time this weekend uh, on RadioLamont.com, looking at the schedules. But what I will say, there is a bit of overlap here and there. All three uh, of the channels are going to be running flat out. And we're getting extra cooling in for the channels this weekend because they're going to be running at full revs all weekend. RS1, RS2 and RS3. Um, but if there's a bit of overlap, don't worry, because, of course, the archive will be up there uh, for you. Uh, before we get started, I want to say a very big thank you to Kerry Cobb who's down at our main control room in London and we'll be hearing from Kerry uh, later on uh, as she makes her debut on Midweek Motorsport uh, and also to the responsible adult who is a responsible adult and one of our producers this evening as we're uh, putting together something we've not done before and doing a bit of a relay to get everything in and out to you. Tim Greer on assignment, of course, for the World Cup at the moment and uh, he's I'm sure listening in and his I feel his presence I feel his presence uh, let's start with uh, a few bits and pieces uh, hot dogs and french rosé perfect 4th of July uh, lunch for Carol Brink hello Carol uh, I know she's skipping off to do some baseball uh, later on in the second well uh, we've uh, got Shea Adam hopefully uh, I say hopefully because she isn't here with me at the moment she's further north in Canada and uh, we're hoping to be able to get in touch with her. Chris Law is watching the Cadillac 3 performing in Dublin tonight uh, as part of their current tour, promoting uh, the Revenge album, I think it is. He says, I'll be on the podcast as well. Uh, keep your tweets coming to at Specutainment as usual. Uh, who's just said they've missed the start of the show? Alan Prosser nearly missed the start of the show, he says. But I'm just in time. Waves. Waving back. Uh, Alexander Orkin. 
listening on TuneIn to start as we turned home from shh meetings. I need to deliver a decorated kick to St. George's Hospital where my wife works, 70th NHS anniversary celebrations, etc. I need supper. Uh, behind the wall, seeing back for Midweek Motorsport live tonight. No EFAs. Chris Ring uh, wishing I was heading to Le Mans for the Classic with my fellow beer mountaineers and Cornish turtles. Uh, we'll have that live in sound and vision on Radio Le Mans uh, .com this weekend. Uh, we'll have some audio for you on Sunday, but uh, sound and vision for the rest of it. Michael Denny, no EFAs this week, listening live from the Carbon Fibre Triangle. I want an extra loud yay from RC Racing, heard from the other side of Milton Keynes. That's to come. Uh, Nick Damon will be with us uh, for our Formula One segment. Uh, Chris Suku, Alex winning the lead race on last week's show sounds just as good today as it did last week. Yes, that was getting replayed just a few minutes ago. Well, I'm up in Canada. Uh, Nick Damon is in the UK. We'll hear from him in a moment. Um, however, we'll start tonight's show with, with uh, I'm afraid, some very sad news. Uh, that is that one of the great matriarchs of one of the great American motorsport dynasties uh, sadly has died this week, died on Monday. Dee-Anne Andretti, uh, wife of Mario Andretti, uh, met Mario in uh, November of 1961 uh, when Mario came across to Nazareth uh, and spent a few uh, months in her company as she was teaching him English. And Dee-Anne passed away uh, on uh, sorry Tuesday morning after a massive heart attack a few weeks ago and she never regained consciousness. It was Marco Andretti who confirmed the news via uh, Twitter uh, this week. Just an extraordinary lady. Anybody who knew her uh, will tell you that she was a, a real powerhouse. And of course, we pass on our condolences as well as our thoughts and prayers to the whole of the Andretti uh, family, three children survive her, as well as her husband, Mario, of course, and in our thoughts and prayers, as I say, Dee and Andretti, who passed away earlier on this week. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Right, let's get into the motorsport news. And on Blue Fader number four, just off to the right of the sound desk, I'm going to say our top story is Formula One, for which we will need our Formula One correspondent, who is Nick Damon. Hey! Excellent one for everyone. Excellent. Um, now we dare fade you up just a little bit more when you start talking normally. Finally got home from the French Grand Prix then. Um, I'm just listening back there as I was getting ready for the show, playing last week's shows in, in replay there. And we were talking about, yes, I don't think there's much point in uh, getting rid of Eric Bouly. I mean, what could you possibly do at this stage of the season? <laughs> well, Mystic John and Nick strike again. Mm. Tell me about the... Um, what is it? Management restructuring. Ron Dennis is gone, but Ron Speak continues. Yeah, basically, I assume that they kind of fired everyone else uh, and were only really left being able to fire, you know, um, Boulier and uh, a couple of others. It's, it's, it's a bit kind of. Um, it is interesting, really, because they, they, they have stripped out. People, as they've gone through, Tim Goss and everyone else have gone, uh, as they've kind of slowly realised that actually it wasn't all Honda who were rubbish, and actually a lot of it was 
they were rubbish. Um, so this kind of dawning realization that they weren't going to be on the same speed as uh, a Red Bull and they weren't going to uh, compete even with the works Renault team has effectively resulted with various people um, resigning. Um, the recent, recent of which is Eric Bouillet, who um, joins Luminaries, Ron Dennis, Martin Whitmarsh, Tim Goss, and all other people in leaving the, leaving the strangely structured uh, McLaren team. And to replace him, uh, they've brought in uh, Gilles de Ferrand. Uh, de Ferrand, sorry. Gilles, sorry, yeah. yes. Gilles de Ferrand, who was rather amusingly called Gilles de Ferrari um, on a well-known website with a, with, a, with a hyperlink on his surname to Ferrari, which I thought was quite no. funny. Uh, oh, yes. Um, and they're also promoting Andrea Stella, who um, you would probably remember as being um, Fernando Alonso's race engineer. He, but I think he's, he's moved up a couple of times for that. He's now gone to uh, performance director. And uh, Gilles is sporting director. And don't forget, Gilles de Ferrand has experience as a sporting director in F1, John. Uh, uh, to see, really? Uh, Jaguar? No, well, not well. It was less with the stunning successful two years he spent at BAR Honda uh, when they were absolutely terrible, but before they went bust, in fairness to him. Um, So, yeah, he has done that, and it's a kind of like, I don't know. It's uh, again, the the point we made last week was was sacking Eric Boulier. Um, for all his perceived rights and the wrongs, the problem is you've got a vacuum. What are you going to put into it? And they, the answer is they've they've done a bit of internal promotion and they've got Gilles. I expect to be the, to become the acceptable face of McLaren, uh, press wise and uh, comment wise. I'm sure he'll get on the get on the Sky and talk to them during the race and that sort of thing. Um, but it doesn't kind of really uh, cover up the issue that you know it, it's a kind of a situation that the team is in complete disarray and and. You know, last week we were, we were laughing a bit because they were having a, suffering a PR disaster over Fredo Gate, where they gave a 10p or 20. Actually, I say a 10p chocolate bar. It was a 10p chocolate bar when I was young. Now apparently they're 24 pence each. I thought, my God, that's inflation. Uh, a 24 pence, uh, which is about 40 cents for our American listeners, uh, chocolate bar uh, to say thank you for working late every night for an entire week. Um, it's just mismanagement on the on the uh, the ultimate scale, and and whenever comes mismanagement, as you would know, John, as a Sunderland fan, a team that's been mismanaged oh, for a long time, what do they do first? They fire the manager. Yeah, I, I, two two points I have to make about this is uh, this clearly is not going to make any difference this season. The package is the package, and and frankly, and I'm not here to defend Eric Boulier, but you know, Eric isn't in charge of the development of the the car and the integration of the car with the new engine supplier uh, this year um so I, I i don't see what difference that will make this year so it has to be looking further ahead and the confidence in in eric and whatever decisions he had been making clearly wasn't there um there was a great phrase it wasn't that the, he left by mutual consent um it was total ron speak um from mclaren I'll, I'll try and look it up and find it, um, that, that Eric was, was leaving under his own auspices effectively. But, but um, do we read anything into the fact that it's Gilles de Ferran and we were talking last week about IndyCar potential as well for McLaren? Or, or is this just a, a marriage of convenience? I, I don't know. I think, I think you know, Zach, obviously, Zach Brown, who is the man who is 
uh, not falling on his sword, despite the fact he doesn't seem to have delivered an awful lot to them either recently. Um, yeah, his, his entire management style appears to be just giving in completely to Fernando Alonso uh, and then firing other people. Um, so he seems that Gilles can offer them something. And I think, you know, a nice, smiley, friendly face, which obviously Gilles is, is actually a, a, maybe a positive thing they need. Boulier was a little bit occasionally sour, but that's probably because he was having to deal with some unpleasant issues. Um, you know, the, the fact is that the, the interesting... If, if I turned round to you... All right, John, it's, it's, it's 1993, and I turn round to you and say the two worst teams in F1 are Williams and McLaren. Where did it all mm. go wrong, mate? You know, that's, that's the fact. That is the fact that they have both in the... For even in 2005, they were two of the best three teams. And they have effectively both destroyed themselves for similar reasons in many ways in this inability to pick up works drives, or works, sorry, works engines or upsetting works teams and losing works engines and then disappearing up their own backsides, mainly because, you know, the, the money wasn't there when, once cigarette advertising went. And they are now the worst team. And I would say McLaren will be the second worst team as, as Sauber get their act together on a week-by-week week week basis. And the only thing keeping anything respectable happening in McLaren is, it's fair to say, is actually Alonso, because he's actually very good. Uh, how? What? Um, we, we talked a lot about McLaren uh, last week, um, and I, I, I don't want to seem down on them, but it's interesting you should say that about McLaren and Williams, two of my very favourite teams. I've got a very soft spot for Williams. I think they're great. Uh, I like the attitude that Williams have had down through the years. McLaren, if you go back through the Midweek Motorsport Formula One uh, reviews and previews, um, particularly the previews, but also in the reviews, I have said for several years, well, McLaren can't have a year as bad as last year. Um, (laughs) Well, McLaren, and I mean, it has just been a massive fall from grace that... Uh, and again, I, I come back to the point we made last week. You know, they've diversified their road car side of things, as you rightly said, is, is going well. But the core product has to be Formula One. And I mean, can is there a point, Nick, that you can identify where it all went wrong, or do you think it's more complex than that? It isn't a single, a single event. Um, I think it pretty much all went wrong for McLaren, though they didn't realise it. Um, in the, at the end of 2009, when Mercedes got their own works team running, because um, not only did that take away their work status for engines, um, they then poached their main asset, um, Lewis Hamilton, two or three years later. And oh, yes. the rise of Mercedes has, you know, has kind of mirrored the fall of of McLaren. They had a, you know, senior management torpor they then swapped them about they then decided they had to chase a works engine they then couldn't uh show any loyalty to their works engine they just decided to much as you know much for the red bull school of marketing where you um you get, you get an engine and you and you moan about it until you have to pay for it when it was free or in mclaren's case you get an engine which you moan about which is free and then you moan about it much you lose it and have to pay another engine then find it actually wasn't the engine's fault it was actually the design of the car uh mm. and in the intervening time everyone says well, why can't you just work together why do you have to blame each other? What's this blame culture? That's not really helping anybody, is it? You know, so um, I don't know. I, well, I think the, my, the, the, my sympathy, my, sorry, my sympathy for McLaren is is a lot lower than my sympathy for Williams. Well, that's because you've got a bigger soft spot for for Williams because they've always well, been a bit of a. They're a private. They are. They have always. You know, they were a privateer team, and they've 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 gone for down a, a couple of blind alleys. 
Whereas, you know, McLaren have chased the gold of a, of a works team and then just thrown it away. It wasn't quite what they wanted, thinking they could do better and have had this sort of arrogance, which is 15 years out of date. And they've been caught out and found out, actually, you know, they are not as good as Force India. Let's point this out. Who and apparently that is that... are in serious financial difficulties. Yeah. Um, de Farron is a lovely, lovely br- bloke. Um, I'll tell you that because I've worked with him over here in sports cars. Um, had a, you know, was part of a team over here. I ran P2 cars. I really, really like him. He's he's a real enthusiast. My work, and, oh, Sarah Rigby has just tweeted uh, at Specutainment and said, we had the pleasure of meeting Gilles de Farron at a Honda charity at home day at Brackley several years ago. I had a lovely chat with him. Uh, we stunned the next day that he left Honda. And the fact he was there and the way he behaved made, made me realise he was a true professional and we wish him all the best with McLaren F1. My worry is that, I mean, anybody working for McLaren at the moment, it must be a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, they could easily be chewed up and spit out. Now, Gilles is different from some because he, you know, he's a very long-standing and well-earned reputation but at the moment they're in a mediterranean style shoulder shrugging finger pointing massive bit of disarray can't argue that point i mean i think he is there to be an acceptable face of a disaster um and he'll have to bat away things with the you know we're building for next year and they'll now effectively park what they've got try and convince fernando to do what fernando's going to do but of course we know there's already a, a cloud, another cloud on the horizon for Fernando. I'm not sure whether you're going to talk about it now or you're going to talk about it in the sports. Well, it's a Formula One bit of news, uh, which we need to touch on later, which may actually, well, may as well talk about it now because it's, it's the one thing that could Fernando. really, really influence what Fernando does. And that's, of course, the change of date of the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah. They've moved the Australian Grand Prix a week forward. Not normally a problem. Unfortunately, it clashes, clashes with Sebring. With Sebring. Yep. And that, of course, is the uh, World Endurance Championship. That, of course, is uh, what Fernando may well have a chance of winning. So given the fact it's very likely now he would therefore not want to do that race and jeopardize his chance of a World Championship, he's very unlikely. He's almost certainly in F1 not to want to do Monaco uh, because that clashes with the Indy. Um, yep. It all gets a bit difficult, really. So, you know, whether they... Uh, so you kind of think to, to yourself, well, you know, this is more and more saying their prize is going to go. There's rumours they're talking to Kimi Raikkonen, which is just ridiculous. What is the point of that? Um, just disarray. I mean, well, I, just, I, I, just I, more, more fun, I, I, more fun radio messages. I mean, at least with those two, you will, you will get unfiltered radio messages. There'll be nothing PC from those two. Look, Fernando Alonso at his 300th Grand Prix a couple of races ago was asked about the, um, you know, his. Uh, priorities and he said his priority is the FIA World Endurance Championship because he's in with a chance of that and becoming a world champion where he's not in Formula 1 I mean he's, he's barely capable of getting out of the first qualifying session uh, in some of the races uh, this year which is just extraordinary um, th- there's, it's funny isn't it when we talked about Sebring uh, and the WAC being uh, on the IMSA package there the I, I actually said, oh, we haven't even seen the, the F1 calendar for next year. That that has clashed in the past, and then it came out a week later. And I do think I actually said, oh, yeah, that's for now. So why has the Australian mm. Grand Prix had to move back a week? Or forward a week, rather? Um, they wanted to move it a week because um, Melbourne is very full of other events during that month. Mm. And they actually were trying to avoid putting it on the same weekend as the start of the Australian Rules football. Um, which is uh, huge uh, in the state of Victoria. 
So they're trying to get a bit of clear space. And unlike the WEC, which will move events around for Fernando Alonso, F1 is, is not going to move an event one way or other for Fernando Alonso, who is, whilst a draw is not in the top, you know, the top drawer of draws, because they obviously have a championship that's still. But um, I don't think it's... Well, that's it. Like I mean, that's it. He's not going to that. I'll tell you that now. He will not be going to that. Because if he goes to that, then his car can win the championship. Unless they put two other drivers in that car, for that race only. They bring back Anthony Davidson and put in another driver. Nicola Lapierre, um, he's always good for a, for a run in the year two. <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny on the radio as well. Um, and unless they do that, and the other two get drivers don't drive as well, then he can't be the champion. And and that is, you know, it, it had to be... No, 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 the no he's, not, on... he's not going to the Australian Grand Prix. No, you're right. He's not going to the Australian Grand Prix now, John. That's not happening. He isn't going there. It's not his priority. Mm. It's where they... So Stiffy Van Dormeren gets the shout then? Well, you know, they've got, they, they have a potential issue at McCarran, regardless of whether they f- sign... Um, they can't have uh, Jensen now. No, but they've got, well, they've got a situation. They've, already, they've got Stoffel Van Dorn, who's not doing well, but is at the car. They've got Lando Norris, who just needs to up his game a little bit from a couple of poor F2 weekends, but still is pretty good and signed up. So, you know, perhaps they might try and do a system where they've got, you know, one or other or other doing half a season with Fernando picking and choosing some races he comes in and does, you know, which is important. They haven't got uh, to have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain would love to have Fernando come and do four or five races and tell what's wrong with their car. So perhaps they might find a, a pick and mix thing where Fernando has a few races he actually wants to do, and then they can give you know a whole season to Lando or a whole series to Van Dorm, and then a part season to the other driver. So it actually does get them out of a slight hole on that front if they want to write that way. Um, they have to be a bit so, careful, though, Nick, don't they? Because there's only a certain amount of changes you can make in a year now. No, 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 there's no, a no, regulation. No. You can share. It, 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 it's that's again force majeure, all that sort of stuff. If you said we're going to do this, and these are the seven races that Fernando's having, and these are the seven, oh sorry, seven, the eleven races and the eleven races, it would be fine. It wouldn't be an issue. Um, okay. Because it doesn't count as two changes. So for example, if if Barry comes into the car, gets injured, and Trevor gets in, and then Barry comes back, that doesn't count as two changes. That doesn't count. It isn't, it's coming back isn't a second change. Okay. All right, so, that so it's just different, different drivers. Okay, every yeah. time you go to a different. Right, okay, so that, I mean that's um, that's I have interesting. One more thing to say. I have one more thing to say about this, and something which we've alluded to, and I, I, yeah, and sometimes being a bit jokey about it. Hang on, before you say that, because I'm older than you, and I'll forget. Doesn't it make much more sense now that the FIA, WEC, moved their race to Friday night? Because if they'd been running it at the midnight start that they were going to, then it would have clashed with the start of the Formula One race. I'm just okay. going to say that for, well. for telly. Um, uh, yeah. So actually, yeah. Okay, sorry, what were you going to say? What we've alluded to in the past? What is Zach Brown doing? What's he for? What's he achieving? Where are the sponsors he's supposed to have brought in? Where is the management? What's he doing? What's the point of him? He's, I'm sure he's <laughs> marvellous at running as a sports car team in P2, but what has he actually brought any positiveness to McLaren? And I'm happy to be proven wrong. Nick, if someone wants to send me an answer and a postcard. I think I think you'll find Richard Dane to do with that. <laughs> um, but I honestly, I, I'm sure there's plenty going on behind the scenes, and and it, you know he's not just looking after the Formula One. McLaren is a group now. We've said this before, um, but I I I do look at that and see. A, an organisation, if not in free fall, that is certainly losing altitude very quickly. Um, and you have to worry about it. Uh, its inability to attract meaningful sponsors, whether that's because they want to, not to dilute the McLaren 
brand or not, um, I, I don't know. But um, ultimately, the money's going to run out. And in Formula One, what do you need? Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of cash. And then more cash on top of it. Um, okay, let's let's put that one to one side. You listen to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 13, Episode 25. Hindoff is in very beautiful sunshine. And hit 38 degrees Celsius as I was driving up from Watkins Glen on uh, Monday. It was extremely warm. Uh, almost as warm as it has been in the UK at the moment. 25 past three here. 25 past uh, eight in the UK. Welcome along if you are just joining us. Uh, we'll stay with Formula One. Um, but before we move on uh, to the weekend's action at the Red Bull ring, uh, just a, a reminder, we're going to try and get in touch with Shea Adam later on and talk about sports cars. Uh, very uh, 10 hours of excitement in terms of racing and plenty of other stuff going on at the weekend. And that was just the two main races last weekend in this back-to-back weekend for IMSA on the air on Friday, by the way, on RS2 IMSA Radio on a packed weekend of uh, live sport for you on uh, the RSL network of channels, the Radio Show Limit network of channels. Uh, and uh, we will also have a bit of a look at the uh, British Superbike Championship uh, with Kerry as well, uh, making her debut on Midweek Motorsport, which she's very excited about. And and as are we, as are we. Uh, so Red Bull Ring at the weekend, one of the shortest tracks and fastest uh, lap times that there is. It's still a great track, but it's very difficult to pass. Uh, high, uh, high percentage of incidents and accidents. Uh, let's start early on in the weekend with a, what looked to have been a championship deciding penalty for Sebastian Vettel for getting in somebody's way during qualifying, Nick. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was actually Q2, so it wasn't even the vital part of qualifying Q3. Mm. And the person he blocked, Carlos Sainz, got through to Q3 anyway. So it was one of those oh. things you're thinking, well, you know, it doesn't really matter anyway. But um, the stewards took a very dim view of it. It wasn't really explained, actually, in the the kerfuffle afterwards where Carlos was being incredibly kind of, you know, Oh, it's fine. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm, 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 I'm big. it doesn't matter if he gets, if he doesn't get a penalty, it's fine with me. It doesn't matter. He's been terribly like that. Cause he, he got through. Um, Fettel had been a state on, on the line, the racing line coming up the hill into turn one and turn around turn one. Whereas uh, on basically an outlap signs was going absolutely full Monty down the straight. And he turned in, saw, saw Fettel at the last minute. Obviously that destroyed his lap. He had to go, but more importantly, I didn't realize they actually had slightly tagged, and uh, he'd actually oh. broken his wing on the car. And it was the fact that they'd actually come together um, was one of the things that convinced the stewards to to give Fettel a three-place penalty, which obviously did. Have, we all think, oh, well, that's a three-place penalty. And now McLe- the uh, Mercedes are one and two, and they've got Raikkonen, and they've got the, the Red Bulls that are horribly off the pace. It is going to be a Sunday stroll in the mountains, the mountains, 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 Alps, Alps, about them. A Sunday stroll in the Alps for... Uh, our friends at Mercedes, and they'll have an easy one too. And indeed, that's how it looked for about 17 laps because uh, Bottas made a slightly poor start there from second place on the grid. Um, uh, Lewis Hamilton just streaks off into the lead. Marvellous. Except, <laughs> except. Well, they're now unfortunately, the first, something happened that hasn't happened very often. I think it hasn't happened for about, certainly, I can't remember the last time this actually happened mechanically. I'm sure they will correct me. Um, 
because obviously Valtteri has pulled out of races before, but it's been for you know punctures and accident damage. Uh, he had a, a, a hydraulic failure, and the car pulled to a stop up the top at the top of the hill. And at that point, there was a bit of huffy and kerfuffing. He hadn't managed to get the car right of the circuit. They pulled a virtual safety car, and Mercedes made another massive mistake under virtual safety well, cars, you know, as they have done right. for the fourth time. Now, I, I I had a look at this, and I've had a look at the the lap charts, and I think they were on a hiding to nothing. Because if they'd brought Lewis in, then the other guys would have stayed out and got track position. And it's difficult to pass. Yeah, but they still have to come in, John. The uh, Ferraris... If they'd, if they'd stayed the out, the other guys... Yeah, no, no, no. The Ferraris were absolutely in their window for the Ultrasoft. So they, they were going to come in whatever happens. It was manna from heaven for Ferrari. So the only question then was, what were Red Bull going to do? If Red Bull had stayed out, they started to come in 10, 12 laps later. And at that point, remember, nobody knew that the uh, rear tyres were going to react so badly to the massive increase in temperature um, yes. of the track because it's sunny day. So the, the, in any, of going on all the knowledge you had, it was 100% certain Ferrari were going to come in. It was, who knows, with, with, with Red Bull. But they sent Lewis in and out. He would have been um, in third place behind both the Red Bulls, who would have had to come in in 15, second, in 15 laps and would have lost the more time, the same as Lewis did, because it stopped cost you about nine real, eight or nine real seconds in, co- in I say code six, unvoted safety car. But it cost you 21 seconds, you know, actually running around. So you had a free four, it was 14 seconds for free. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a conversation about it based on what they knew going into Saturday morning. Um, so as it was, it just, as I mean, as it was, it was for nothing because um, did Lewis's car break as well? Yes, Lewis's car, well, A, he went there, then he had um, tyre blistering issues, which affected a few of the drivers. Now, interesting, this tyre blistering issue was, was particularly, because you know how I've been talking about this thinner tread they've had for Recar Barcelona yes. and they're going to have next week. Why do you think they have thinner tread? Uh, they have thinner tread um, to do with the heat dissipation, presumably. Exactly, to prevent this blistering. Because what mm. happens is when you've got a, a track with low degradation but high heat, the actual body of the tread gets too hot because there's too much tread getting too much heat. That's why it then blisters up. And that's exactly the reason why we haven't had this uh, tracks where they thought it might be dynamically causing it, this uh, overheating of the tread block effectively. I mean, it's a slick tire. It's one big tread block, unlike your road tire, which is lots of tread blocks. Um, And it was this overheating that that actually caused him to blister because it wasn't wearing enough to actually lose the heat. So that, and of course, they never saw that in the long runs um on saturday and friday because it was, it was 15 20 degrees colder on the track so yes. interestingly mercedes would have you know as, as you know, wise after the event total wall said that well they should have bought the new thinner tires but um uh yeah i mean it, it didn't really matter anyway because uh, lewis had a fuel pump failure you know i like to point out that lewis in his multi-billion pound mercedes uh didn't manage to get more than about 100 miles when we had a fuel pump failure where i drove 260 trouble free miles a 53 old vintage car on saturday so who's laughing now me i think yes uh but particularly as your triumph tr4 irs um mm. had which you have to see uh, when it's a TR4, you have to hey, say that it's independent hey, races. Well, yes, I get hey. people worried about it because there is, there's, there, if you have the American cheapy versions, it works in TR4As, it still has the solid rear axles, but just in the US, and so it's not going yeah. that now. Sorry, uh, sorry. Okay, that's fine. Um, well, but Lucas Electronics is all I'm going to say. Electrics, I was all I'm going to say. So the fact yeah. that you got to Lincoln Catch and back or whatever it was. 
Yes, absolutely fantastic. Uh, actually, it was one of a number of fuel pump failures that we saw at the weekend across different forms of motorsport. Had a couple in IMSA competition uh, as well. Uh, championships wide open again, and you know what should have been an easy win for Mercedes is uh, isn't, and it is a, a championship lead again for Sebastian Vettel. Of one point, and they didn't swap him and Kimi, which was good. Um, perhaps it's because they remember the, uh, the Austria course was the home of the world's most infamous swap when they swapped Schumacher and Barrichello in 2002 when they didn't need mm. to, when it was obvious they had the best car and it was about round five and it was pointless and they got everyone got booed and then they tried to, Schumacher got embarrassed and tried to put um, Barrichello at the top step of the podium and uh, and uh, they got fined for that. And I think I, read, I, think I actually did the post-race conference and I think, I, I think my first line was, what the heck was going on there then? Um <laughs> Frankly, and they're all very embarrassed about it, and wish they hadn't done it. That was our, and of course, that was our, our the, the man who orchestrated that. Of course, the man who is the king of of sport and everything else, and always does the best sporting thing, uh, Jean Todd. Oh uh, yes, good point. I know. And, uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, next up, it's Silverstone. Uh, generally yeah. speaking, that's a good track for Mercedes. Uh, working on what used to be the medium tyre. Weather in the UK is pretty hot, although it's getting towards the end of Wimbledon fortnight, so it's bound to throw it down and rain no, on the it's Sunday. Still, still 28, 29, they're saying. For the, the weather forecast the weekend is very, very warm indeed, but they have got the thinner tree. Are you playing so... with a pen, Nick? Nick, are no? you playing with a pen? No. No? Okay. Um, no. So, I'd, surely, that, I mean, that is a good track for um, for Lewis and for Mercedes, and I, I can't see anything more than uh, anything more or less than uh, a lockout of the front row and a one-two for uh, for Mercedes Benz. I'm sure that's what everyone in Brackley and Bricksworth and Stuttgart is hoping. But then Sunday morning, uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, just uh, three days ago, that's what we thought about Austria as well. So. You can't tell this. Season. This season is incredibly varied. I mean, I think you know. Don't forget, because 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 Verstappen won the race, you know, won it very well uh, last weekend. He's now with a chance of the championship, and he's the, he's the second coming of Massar again. Obviously, three races ago, he <laughs> changed his soil, and he was terrible. So hang on, hang on, hang on. If you're going to say that, I could get to say he's not a liar. He's a very naughty boy. Exactly. Um, you know, it's it's it is very open. It's open because no one's no one's grabbed it by the neck and, and shaken it out. You know, you look at you know, Lewis has kind of had his had his first spell of bad luck. I mean, Valtteri's had nothing but bad luck. Fettel keeps making mistakes. Raikkonen's blowing you know hot and cold the whole time. You know, the, the Red Red Bull are fast at some places. They don't even know why they're fast, and they've had some reliability issues. So, you know, no one's really stuck in a run yet. And if if someone just turned around and put four or five good races together, whoever it may be out of those those, those drivers, then they probably would find themselves in the lead with a with a very healthy margin by the time we got to the uh, summer break in uh, a month's time. Uh, I'm laughing out loud at something that Stuart Groves has just. Uh, uh, posted in the uh, Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective uh, about McLaren. He said, uh, um, I'm, I'm stumped about the court management reorganisation at McLaren. I can only assume Zach Brown thinks he's actually signed Gil scott Heron and that the revolution will not be televised. That's very good. <laughs> very good. Indeed. That, that might get a cap for Stuart Groves, actually. Uh, responsible adult. That might be tweet of the week uh, so far. If nobody beats that before the end of the show, not it, it's a it's a uh, thing that we do once in a while. But that one has tickled me mightily. So if we get nothing else before the end of this show, 
that uh, tickles me as much. Uh, Stuart Gross will need some details from me and we'll send something to you uh, in in the post. Uh, I, I still think, just let's just wrap, wrap up uh, Formula One. I, I still think, Nick, that, um, you know, the championship is Mercedes and Lewis's. It, it just seems as though they're making rather hard hard work of it. I don't know if it is. I really don't. I think that the, the, the problem that Mercedes have got is, is that the car is rubbish in traffic. So mm. if everything doesn't go right, they get stuck. The Ferrari is better in traffic than um, the Mercedes, and the Red Bull is better than both of them. So they have a chance to move up and around and, and pass people. It's still incredibly difficult in modern F1. But um, you kind of think that when you know, it, Mercedes are having a problem. And if you look at Mercedes' uh, issues, they've been, you know, mostly the team or bad luck. Uh, Lewis is perhaps responsible for one underperformance this season, perhaps one and a half. But the rest of them, he's done what he can do and they've been let down. And, and Valtteri's had tremendously bad luck. But they've not been able to react to either the strange situations on track or the fact they're out of position. And once they're out of position, that car just, doesn't want to, just won't go past yeah. anybody unless you've got yeah. a mile and a half of Baku straight to get down. So... They need to get out front. They need to have one-twos to give themselves a chance of, of anything. Whereas you do feel that the, the Ferrari is a much more mobile car. Vettel's got himself a, a right little, you know, aggressive head on. He went. He actually managed to overtake Lewis in, in open in open battle um, last weekend. Now, Lewis was suffering the blistered tyre and, you know, no, no, no. But he still went past him in a very good move indeed. Um, he's suffering inconsistency. Um, so it's it's a situation where, you know, it said before, it, 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 you would, if... if Mercedes can stay ahead and get get in the one-twos. That's great. But I don't think their last four years of dominance has played them any help at all, as they are now struggling with being a a team which has no real advantage week to week. Yes, they should be best at this track, but then we'll go somewhere else where they won't be best. You know, it's it's a case of, as we move around the tracks, it's going to ebb and flow. Um, who is a better, the better, better car and better driver? And, and, and maximizing weekends like last weekend is absolutely key. And they end, get, end, walked away with nothing and they've lost the lead in both championships. So, uh, Nick, De- go on. Sorry, yes. Nick Damon uh, talking about Formula One Silverstone this weekend for the British Grand Prix. A huge crowd uh, expected for that. Um, before we leave Formula One, uh, the the uh, suggestion of a London street race has come up against again this week. Uh, Christian Horner uh, also saying, and I, I thought this was, um, I'm going to get my T-shirt with kettle pot black calling uh, rearranged into a well-known phrase or saying. He thought there was too much of a blame culture at Mercedes getting the engineer to admit that they'd made a mistake. I thought, really? From Christian? Nah, surely not. That was a joke. Tongue firmly in cheek there. Uh, apparently, Liberty are the people to make the uh, the London Grand Prix work, and maybe it could be part of a street, a special street series that goes to London and Paris and Rome and various, because he doesn't want to lose the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Which he is losing, because uh, next year is the last one, unless they sign a new contract. Don't forget that. Next year is the last you, one, unless they sign a new contract. So this is the penultimate race of the current contract. I'd like to point out, they're still trying to sell tickets on all forms of local media, which is good, but it means they're not sold out. And they need to be sold out to break even. Yes. 
Okay. That's a sad situation. You can you can argue whatever you like about it. But if you're not state sponsored in, in in F1 because of the way the contracts have historically been written, uh, you can't make any money. And of course, the teams don't want to get them rewritten, not because they don't want the races, because they need all the money they can get because their revenues are going down from other areas. So it's a bit of a vicious um, circle. Obviously, Liberty are trying to sort this out with you know theoretical cost caps in three years' time, but. You know, it's, 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 it's a number of crossroads. And I think, you know, Formula 1 is managing to produce a very, very good season because finally you've got three teams who can win and no one dominating particularly. Those, you, know, you have your personal favourites. But there's a lot of issues. Uh, let's move. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll see. I'm, I'm still... <laughs> I'm still... Um, I, ha- I have the Roger Moore raised eyebrow uh, on that one, much as I did for the French Grand Prix. And uh, time will prove us right or wrong on that. I still say that whatever happens, even if you do get a Grand Prix in London, it might be like a Ryanair London, so it's actually in Luton um, or Portsmouth or somewhere. But it's not going to have Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament and Buckingham Palace in the background, which is what's always shown when they do this. Unless they do it at Legoland. Oh, in, in a sort of original Baku way, where they put up backdrops that exactly. makes it look exactly that's a the great idea. <laughs> the Pinewood, the Pinewood London Grand Prix. You can have London through the ages at that point. You yeah, can have like Jack really... the Ripper London. Um, yeah. Have a James Bond special bit where they get where the cars go round and round. You know, they, the cars prove the fact they can run upside down on uh, tunnels with their downforce. Yes, excellent. Oh, now you're going. Now, you see, I yeah. think Liberty would go for that. I think Liberty would go for that, and then you leave it in place. This and it becomes the Grand Prix theme park. Oh wait, haven't we heard that idea before? <laughs> Have you been to Ferrari World now? It's awful. Sorry, it's, it's marvellous. It's not awful. It's, it's awful. <laughs> no, I haven't been there because everybody who's been there told me it was awful. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, Episode 25. Nick Damon is on the line. Uh, still to come, Shea Adam will be talking uh, US news, a bit of sports cars, a bit of other stuff as well, uh, and we've got our uh, British Superbike ca- British Superbike catch-up, the Bennett's British Superbike catch-up, uh, with Kerry Cobb reporting on that, that for us. Uh, but before that, we will go to Two Wheels and to MotoGP at the weekend. Uh, the Dutch TT at Assen uh, on Sunday, which it has been for a, a little while uh, now. Uh, Honda Suzuki Yamaha Ducati in the top four. Nice split. Two and a half yeah. seconds between the, the top four. Uh, now, uh, hands up here, Nick. Um, much as the Grand Prix, I, I read a bit about it, but I haven't seen any of it because I was too busy at Watkins Glen. Um, Marquez, Rins, uh, Vinales, Dovi and Rossi and Cal Crutchlow mm-hmm. in the top six. Now, after all the excitement of people being uh, announced for different teams, things changing round a couple of weeks ago that we, we covered, have we settled back into the 2018 season and are people still got their eyes on the pro? Have people still got their eyes on the prize? Yeah, so I'd like to now point out that um, I haven't seen the whole race because of a skybox failure. So um, it's, uh, oh, it's it's a combination no. of people who haven't seen the race. To- yeah, the Sky Sky recorded every single session, including the morning warm up, and then didn't didn't record the races. Oh dear. Because obviously I, I wasn't I wasn't around last weekend. Anyway, but anyway, uh, I have caught up with it, and it was the closest ever top fifteen. Really? Yeah, the Excellent. top fifteen the closest ever. I think it was about. About 20 seconds between the top 15. The top uh, seven were 
about three seconds apart. And it, and it was it was pack racing up until about seven races, seven laps to go when Mark Marquez broke away. So they were they were doing a full on uh, Moto three sort of impersonation. They were all running around together. Um, <laughs> but um, at the end of it, um, Mark Marquez won. Uh, Rins had his best result so far with the second. Um, and it, Rossi was having a moan about, you know, Dovioso ruining his day, but then, you know, there, there's five, the other five cars, five cars, five bikes, we were on the same second, so someone's going to be a winner, someone's going to be a loser, and Rossi was a loser at that one. If you took out Mark Marquez, who has now got a 41-point lead over uh, Valle, Valentino Rossi in second, um, from Rossi in second on 99 points, third is Vinales, Maverick on 93, Johan Zarco on the Tech 3 Monster Yamaha is 81. Dovi's on 79. Crutchlow's on 79. And Jorge Lorenzo's on 75. And Petrucci's only on 71, along with Andrea Iannone. It's an extraordinary tight battle for effectively second on down. But Mark Marquez can still take two race weekends off and be, and, and no matter what happens, he'll still be in the lead by the time he comes back. Well, yeah, I mean, he's just been even though he's had not had his best season for consistency, he's just been a class apart when he's had it going the right way. Um, it's been a year. It's exactly a year since Yamaha last won a race. Can you believe it? Yamaha have not won a race for a year now. Oh, yeah. As in 2017, it was their last victory. And that is not because Vinales and Rossi can't win races. It's because they can't, they've not built a bike that can win a race. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's no denying that uh, Marquez is a fabulous fabulous bike racer but it is rather being given to him the last couple of championships you know it's you know you, you can only beat what's out there you can only beat what yeah. they provide but they've not really been trying very hard to beat him they've been trying to beat themselves up over the last few years so you know next year he will definitely have a huge challenge within his own team um pedroza is looking like a broken man at the moment trolling around nowhere yes. Uh, I suppose when you're if you're hurt and you, you're driving injured as he has done for a lot of time and you're you're fired and there's no point, it must be very hard to motivate yourself. But it's likely he will carry on for a couple of years more with a satellite Yamaha team sponsored by Petronas. Um, seri- serious question then: If Vinales, Rossi, and Marquez were all on the same bike, who mm-hmm. would win? Marquez. Still. Yeah, because Marquez, you know, Marquez is a brilliant brilliant rider and he's 25 Rossi's a brilliant brilliant rider and he's almost 40 if you said who would win out of Rossi at 25 and Marcus at 25 Rossi would win right but it's not that's but not what we have we have Vinales, that Vinales into that mix you, still, you don't think no. Vinales is, is up to Marquez's standard on the same bike so no, what you're you, saying you, you, is not when, only if Yamaha in 10 years time if, if in 10 years time if people don't get injured and people don't get hurt and you know, the, the arguments will be, was Rossi or Marquez the greatest of the modern era? That'll be the argument, because that is, they are, you know, Rossi's ability to continue racing with these guys 15 years, as 15 years older can never be underestimated, but he's obviously already run nine more championships. He's won them on two strokes and four strokes, different manufacturers. He's won a 250 to 125. He's the complete rider, and he's, you know, carried on going because he wants to, not because you know, everyone wants him being there. And he's single-handedly supported the series for 10 years. I mean, I think it is now getting to the point where it can live without him, thankfully. I think that's one of the things that has happened is yeah, the I rise agree. of Marquez. I think the, the fact that Rossi has signed two extra contracts uh, to keep him in for effectively four years longer than I ever thought he would be, I think that's actually done MotoGP a fantastic favour. Oh, I, 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 I completely, completely agree with that. So what we're saying is that Yamaha doesn't have to build... Uh, uh, as good a 
Park as as Honda. It actually has to build a better one to counteract the Marquez factor. Yeah. Which is, is, is Marquez is the greatest driver in the world at the moment, you know, and that's you know. Carrie's just said doing... to me on the on the chat, uh, all the talent cup lads, the the young talent cup lads, idolise Marquez. He's the one that they want to ride like. He's their, like he's their generation. Yeah. Uh, uh, in Moto Two, sorry Nick, uh, pushed for time. Uh, in Moto Two, um, it was Francesco Bagnaia who opened up a sixteen point gap uh, over. Uh, Miguel Oliveira uh, in second with 18 points further back. Alex Marquez in third. It, this is championship standings there after uh, the weekend. And the Mortal 3 uh, championship is super tight between Jorge Martin on the uh, Grassini bike and uh, Marco Bezeshi. Just uh, two points be, be between those two, 105 to 103. And Fabio De Giantonio. Uh, is on 91 in third on the second Grassini machine. And why is Leopard not Le- Why is Leopard Leopard? I, I, I still don't understand that. Uh, and it's uh, <laughs> any Badestini uh, on 84 points in fourth position. And next, they are off to where, Nick? Can you remember? I wish you hadn't asked me that question. Uh, just playing for time now. Uh, is it German Grand Prix next? I think it is. I think it's Saxon Ring next. Right. Okay. Excellent. Uh, thank track. you, Nick. Yeah, very, very much a Honda track. Yeah. Uh, thank you, very Nick. Very Nick to much Damon. Uh, very you, much to uh, Nick Damon. <laughs> Speak to you next week when possibly we might be on the same continent. No, don't be silly. <laughs> All right, Nick. Thanks, mate. Uh, Nick Damon joining us uh, live here on Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode uh, 25. And we're going to stay on two wheels now. I have been uh, promised, promising you a bit of an update on the season for the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. Let's have a catch-up. Uh, Kerry Cobb is going to bring us up to date on Midweek Motorsport. So here's a little rundown of what's happening in the Bennett's British Superbike Championship this season. For those of you who don't know much about British Superbikes, now is the time to get excited. BSB is famed for its close, dramatic racing um, and it hasn't failed to disappoint so far this season. So a control tyre, Pirelli and tightly managed regulations ensures the grid is evenly matched, battles throughout the field. Riders battle wheel to wheel at speeds of up to 200 miles an hour. A British superbike will lap the Brands Hatch Grand Prix circuit in around 86 seconds, which is currently six seconds faster than a British touring car. Really is exciting stuff. Now we've got Honda, Suzuki, Ducati, Kawasaki, Yamaha, BMW, all these manufacturers are competing in the BSB Championship this season. And the format is this, a weekend takes place over three days, practice is on day one, qualifying is on day two, and then we have two BSB races on day three. And on two occasions each year, we feature a triple header with an additional race following the dramatic three-part qualifying session. British Superbike races typically last around 30 minutes. Qualifying determines the grid for race one and the fastest laps from that race are used to form the grid for the next one. So that's how it works. We also have loads of support races over the weekend. We've got Dickies British Supersport Championship, Hell British Motorstar Championship, Pirelli National Superstock Thousands, Pirelli National Superstock 600s, the Ducati Tri-Options Cup and sometimes the Hyundai British Sidecar Championship and sometimes we have also 
also been joined by our youngsters aged 12 to 16 in the fantastic British Talent Cup. So absolutely loving the wheel-to-wheel action in the superbikes um, or should that be arm-to-arm after the last race at Snetterton in the last round but more of that to come in just a bit it's certainly been a roller coaster since the opening round back at Donington on the bank holiday weekend of the 30th of March who would have predicted that we would have had some arctic conditions there the weather was extremely foul and made for some very dicey moments a long red flag period when anybody there would have been forgiven for wanting to pack up and go home but the organisers the riders and the fans were a hardy bunch and we styled it out through rain, wind, sleet and ice cold temperatures to see last year's rookie 20-year-old Bradley Ray win both races. It was a real, real great start to the season and a real shake-up for some of the guys that have been around a lot longer. I've got the press conference from the first round of this season. It's great to look back and see how it all began. So welcome to the press conference for race one of the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. Here we are at Donington. James Ellison coming to you first. Eighth Bennett's British Superbike Championship, over 200 races under your belt. Was it the start you expected? Uh, it was a start I wanted, to be honest with you. Um, it was a good pace at the front. I was quite happy in the lead. And then I was kind of thinking, I seen plus zero on the board. And I thought, well, am I holding people up? Or are they just kind of staying with me? So when uh, Bradley passed me, I was quite happy with that because I didn't really know what pace to set. Um, he got past and he was actually up, you know, he was putting down a really, really strong pace and it was actually difficult to keep up with him in a lot of areas. So I thought, fair play, we're, we're making a gap on whoever's in third place, so I'll just stick behind Bradley and, and just see, see what happens, really. Um, yeah, and he, like I say, he made a, a fantastic race. Just towards the end, I could see he was maybe, I think maybe just getting a bit excited because he was obviously coming up to his first race win, so the leg was out every corner. He was losing the rear, losing the front. I thought, he's desperate for this. Um, so I was kind of trying to keep my calm and... He was really, really strong going to fog his S's, so I knew if I passed him before that, he'd, he'd surely just pass me back again there on the last lap. So I, my plan was kind of sit behind him and have a go at Melbourne Loop, which I thought was his weakest point. Uh, of course, he stuck his leg out and sort of went to the inside there. I thought, that's fine, I'm going to the outside and cut back, and then this Ducati appeared up the inside from nowhere. So kind of caught me out a little bit. Um, obviously, Shaky was, must have been digging deep those last few laps and, and managed to reel us in. So a little bit disappointed not to have a, a challenge to, with Bradley at the end of the race, but to be honest with you, he... he put a fantastic race together and uh, it deserves a win so you know to leave here for the first race with the Anvil Hire tag team uh, on a podium position I'm quite happy with that and uh, yeah fair play to the other boys as well. Thank you James. Thank you. Shaky burn. You launched into the start of that race Uh, you drop back and you leave it till the last lap to go past James and take second place was it completely different to qualifying? It was um, you know when we when we start with our bike, we have a, a little light that we have to kind of get to, and then we know we're at about the right RPM for for a decent start. But um, I pulled up on the grid, done everything as normal, put the bike in gear, and started to to kind of rev the engine a little bit. But as soon as I did, the bike started like as if it was going to jolt forward, and I was looking at the light and I was trying to build the RPM, but the jolts were getting bigger and bigger, and I thought I've absolutely no idea what's going to happen when I let go of the clutch in a minute when the light goes out and um, I just tried to rev the thing and I let the clutch I I must have moved like a fraction of a millimetre when the light went out and it just went vertical and I thought oh dear (laughs) this is not the start to my season I was hoping for I mean you know ever the optimist I was happy to be on the grid because this time last year I wasn't even here but um, yeah it definitely made things hard work and I dropped right back down the order and I kind of I was very conscious of the fact that it wasn't overly hot so I tried to be really really careful with a tyre when I was coming through so that I had some tyre left at the end of the race and uh, 
You know, it looked like at one point that, that these two were, were just too far away, but I thought, no, come on, you just keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. And uh, all of a sudden we were on them, and um, they Bradley had a moment coming out of the S's on the last lap, and I saw James thought, right, this is it, this is my opportunity. But I looked at the pair of them, I thought, right, that's it, <laughs> this is my opportunity. Um, I managed to get past James, and then uh, going up into the last corner, I, I really thought about a move on, on Bradley, but, you know, it, it would have been one of those, like, last-minute, late lunges, fairing, banging, and if I'd have ended up upside down and he had two after doing such a good race, it would have been it would have been somewhat criminal. And although we're fellow Southerners, I don't think he would have liked me very much. <laughs> um, so fair play to him, fair play to James. You know, it's been uh, it, was a, it was a tough race for me. I'm sure it would have been a little bit easier if I'd have started at the front with him. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to take 20 points, however many podium points that means, three points or whatever, um, and onwards and upwards of tomorrow. Fantastic. Thank you, Shaky. Well, what a start to the 2018 championship. First Bennett's race win. It means you're starting from pole tomorrow. I want to ask you, what was going through your mind in that last lap? To be honest, uh, win bonus, <laughs> win bonus <laughs> are we, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, uh, I tried to keep my cool as much as I could, but it is so difficult when you're, when you're coming up to win your first British Superbike win. It's, uh, it's an incredible feeling. And on the second to last lap, I come around with plus 1.2 and I thought, right, I keep my cool. Yeah, and try and hold hold 1.2 to the last lap. And uh, like I said, I come around to the last lap and I had plus zero. And I thought, oh, no, that's it. <laughs> I've got a race on here. And um, to be honest, uh, I did make a mistake out of the foggy S's. And, and I thought I could hear this, uh, the Yamaha. And I thought he's going to make a move. He's going to make a move. So I try and break as late as I could and get it to the apex. And um, I managed to drive out of there, OK, and come to the last corner. And I heard a Ducati then. I thought, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no. So I just brake as late as I could and went as tight as I could and just stopped the bike and, um, and fired it out. And luckily I had enough to the line. But... To come here and get my first win and the first round of the year is just unbelievable. Congratulations, Bradley. Thank you very much. And then, just when we were all thinking it was beginner's luck, Bradley Ray maintained his momentum at Brown's Hatch at the second round with a second place in the first race, only beaten by current champion and six times British Superbike winner Shane Shaky Byrne. Now, his experience showed in this race. He capitalised on a mistake by Ray towards the end of the race to take the chequered flag. Leon Haslam, who cruelly missed out on his first championship in the last round last season, took the top spot in race two, round two, with the weather again playing a part, this time turning from sunshine to rain in a matter of minutes. For round three, we all packed up and headed up to Alton Park back in May. The teams arrived with three winners and five other podium visitors representing six manufacturers. So it was all to play for in the Cheshire sunshine and what a beautiful, stunning weekend that was. It was Leon Haslam who stepped up to the plate and took both race wins, putting him firmly in the championship lead with Bradley Ray in second and Shaky Byrne in third. Between round three and four, we had a six-week British Superbike break before the races resumed at Snetterton. During this time, many of the riders took part in the Northwest 200 and the Isle of Man TT, uh, which was won by Smith's BMW rider Peter Hickman, a great advert for the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. During this break, B-Wiser Ducati rider and reigning champion Shaky Burns suffered horrible injuries from a crash in testing and is currently recovering with one of these halos on his head, one of these contraptions that is helping to fuse his neck back in a way that will hopefully enable him to race again. He's an angel too, of course, and his wonderful, characterful personality was really missed at Snetterton. For the team, his teammate Glenn Irwin knows Shaky's replacement very well. It's his brother Andrew Irwin and he got off to a great start at Snetterton. 
But it was Leon Haslam again, a.k.a. the Pocket Rocket. He came to Norfolk as championship leader, but had never won at this circuit. And then promptly won both races. I like to think I was his lucky mascot as I did a bit of an in-depth rider insider interview with him on the Friday, but we all know about the commentator's curse, so I'll step away from that one. The JG Speedfit Kawasaki rider was involved in some arm-to-arm last lap jousting with Aussie Josh Brooks, and it made for some great watching on the drag to the finish line. But while they were battling it out, Jake Dixon from RAF Regular and Reserves Kawasaki, he snuck into second place, and he maybe could have even and won it if there were a few metres left. It was left to right at the last minute, uh, leaving Brooks on the McCams Yamaha to take the last spot on the podium and Leon Haslam triumphant. Leon therefore currently leads the British Superbike Championship with 165 points. Young sensation Bradley Ray is second for build-based Suzuki and Shane Shaky Byrne currently sitting in third and Jake Dixon fourth with 91 points going into Knock Hill this weekend. So off to Scotland, as I say. Then it'll be to Brown's Hatch for the weekend of the 20th to the 22nd of July. The next round is at Thruxton at the beginning of August. That will make for some great thrills there on that fast circuit. And then we will have four more rounds. Cadwell Park will be the weekend of the 17th to 19th of August. Then off to Alton Park for the 14th to the 16th of September for another round there. Then we will be back to Brands Hatch for the final race of the season, which will be mid-October. But between then, we do our little trek abroad. We go to Assen for the penultimate round, and that always makes for some thrilling racing. Hopefully you can join us at one of the rounds this season. It really is a fantastic format. It's the Bennett's British Superbike Championship 2018 and hopefully see you there soon. Superbike Championship uh, on the first of what I hope will be a relatively regular series. Love some of that insight from the post-race uh, conference as well. Well done, Case, for putting that together and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take one of those after every round, please. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode uh, 25. Uh, what we'll do now then is we'll skip back across the Atlantic and with any luck, we should be able to get in touch with Shea Adam uh, joining us from a little bit further north. Oh, no, uh, Shea is not available either. All right, then it's going to be one of those days. How annoying. Uh, we'll see if we can get in touch with Shea in just a, a few moments time. Uh, let me uh, give you a bit of sports car news courtesy of Marshall Pruitt and racer.com I was talk with Shea a little bit about this uh, in the second half of the programme but Marshall as ever been doing great work even though he wasn't in the paddock at Watkins Glen at the weekend he's always got his finger on the pulse you know he has uh, and it looks very much like the uh, guys are JDC Miller Stallings, as uh, we call uh, that team now, are pondering a DPI programme. Now, at the moment, as you know, they're running one of the global cars and they did so to some effect at the weekend uh, on the uh, in the Salem's six hours of the Glen, winning the race in the 99 Red Dragon car. And... They are talking with a number of people, including apparently Hyundai, although they have got some uh, GM contacts as well and some history with them, um, to potentially uh, build a DPI. Now, there are DPIs out there from Cadillac, 
and from Nissan and from Mazda and from Acura. So first port of call, obviously, would be to try and persuade one of those uh, manufacturers or to come back to them and uh, effectively let them have a car. If not, there is an opportunity, of course, for them to convert, in inverted commas, one of their global uh, chassis into a DPI. That would mean changing an engine and changing the bodywork, much the same as the on-road DPI program that uh, Ed Brown and Scott Sharp uh, put together with Nismo. Um, they supplied the engines. Ligier designed the Nissan bodywork and basically threw it at the GSP217 chassis. So they, they have two already, uh, JDC Miller Stolings, they have two uh, global cars and I suppose they could turn them over. They could commission, commission the engines and bodywork. Uh, this comes off the back of the win at the weekend. And he said, uh, in speaking to Marshall Proto of Race, he said, the win Sunday has energised John Miller and me to build a championship team that can compete on a routine basis with Roger Penske and Wayne Taylor and anyone who comes to the track. We're focused on what we're going to do next year and still uh, are trying to go DPI because there are some advantages there. Uh, we spoke with some factories, he continued, about an engine programme. We're in contact with our own chassis supplier. My guess is we'll stay with who we've got, which is Orica, of course. That will depend on upon who we end up picking for an engine programme next year. So it sort of sounds to me is it, uh, as if it is a done deal uh, and it is uh, more than being considered, really, that uh, the only thing in uh, still to be sorted is who the uh, who the engine supplier uh, will be. Um, let's see if we have got Shea Adam on the line. Shea Adam, can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, it's a little bit choppy. I had to go find Wi-Fi close by because I'm in cottage country. Ah, well done. Well done to Shea and well done to uh, Eve Hewitt as well. Um, you probably didn't hear all of what I was talking about there, but a very interesting story from uh, from racers Marshall Pruitt, who as ever has got his finger on the pulse, about the JDC Miller-Stallings team potentially converting their uh, two uh, Orica, DPR, uh, Orica Global cars into DPI. First of all, we've got to say, they ran a cracking race at the weekend in the sale in six hours, Shay. Oh, massive round of applause to them, the whole organization. And Stephen Simpson for doing one heck of a restart, passing Juan Pablo Montoya, of all people, and then uh, putting enough of a gap on him that Roman Dumas didn't even have a chance to catch back up. When you hold off guys of that caliber, you're doing something right in life. And we knew that Stephen was fired up from the race the day before, but we didn't know just how fired up he was going to be. It was second for them last year. And he, Misha Goikberg, and Chris Miller, credit to all three of them, doing a spectacular job for a well-earned win at the Salem Six Hours of the Glen. The, uh, that restart, uh, the, the whole of the Six Hours, by the way, and credit to the IMSA uh, live team for getting this up. It's already on the official IMSA, uh, IMSA uh, YouTube channel. Uh, that oh, is bravo. worth the price of... <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, the whole six hours is there. Um, that's worth the price of admission on its own. The uh, He went from third to first in one 
exciting and brilliantly executed manoeuvre. So worth yeah. worth seeing. Uh, in, in a race in a weekend, I, I mean, that's something we'll follow, of course. And, and I still think there are other manufacturers out there. In fact, I know there are other manufacturers out there who are looking very, very closely indeed at DPI. We, uh, we talked about that. Uh, at the weekend. Uh, also, if you haven't heard our weekend's coverage or watched it back, um, we had a good 15 minutes or so with Scott Atherton in the booth. A brilliant as ever that uh, Scott, who is so busy on race weekends. And in fact, I, I said this in in when it was happening. He actually got a meeting reminder whilst he was in with us and dismissed it and, and answered a couple more questions. Um, I, I mean, the series is in such good good health at the moment. The DPI concept is working. Uh, the, uh, we always said that Watkins Glen International and the six-hour format would would favour the global cars. And, and my goodness, it did. Um, you know, not great for all of them. They didn't all have great results. But as also we've said, you've got to keep executing. But good to see uh, a win from the, the 99 Red Dragon guys. Yeah, and honestly, John, I think it's just the start. Uh, the global DPI car did get a win last year with the, uh, as it was then, Visit Florida team, now the Spirit of Daytona Racing. But they're an organization that we are used to seeing dominating the very top class of this sport. This was also the first prototype win for JDC Miller Motorsport because even though they were PC champions, they hadn't gotten that breakthrough win yet in the top series. I feel like now that they've got something figured out, you've got to worry about them coming to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Again, another track where last year they came oh so close and finished second. But then we've got the slew of other teams out there. We've only had one repeat winner in any of the classes this year, and that has been Mustang Sampling, taking the wins at Daytona and Long Beach. So clearly we have a lot of people out there capable of winning. It's just a question of who has the entire best package and luck on their side on any given weekend. Um, the whole event at Watkins Glen was absolutely outstanding. The, uh, I, I thought that the support races, all right, we had a bit of confusion in the Lamborghini races with penalties applied after the chequered flag, but once we got across that for the second race, we, and, and credit, by the way, for race control and Al Kamel for giving us the extra information we needed. The two Porsche races were great. Four hours of Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge on Saturday, and everybody said that that was one of the best races. I really think those four-hour races for the Conti Series really work very, very well indeed. They do, and they add that extra element of, I don't want to say endurance, but really with a two-hour race, it doesn't test the drivers, the machines, and everything to that limit as it does with the four-hour. It adds that extra little bit of spice that we sort of look for. And we always get to the end of a two-hour race. You, Jeremy, and I just sort of turn to each other and go, where did the time go? The four-hour race doesn't leave us with that same sensation because we feel like everyone's gotten their money's worth and everybody is happy with the results at the end of the day. Look at our championship, John. And GS, we've got a tie for the beginning, for the top step of points, and we have four races down. It's extraordinary, the level of competition there. I love the four-hour races. I don't wish we could have more of them because I feel like some of the magic would be lost if we had more than two out of ten. That's a fifth of the season being these longer form races, but I so enjoy and appreciate the ones when we do get them. Yeah, completely, completely agree with that. Uh, let's stay with the, well, actually, uh, no, let, let's let's stay with this. Uh, I know it's nine o'clock. We normally have hours still to come, but still to come is more of the same, uh, quite honestly. Are you actually <laughs> a boat at the moment? 
I just tweeted my view, so you'll get a kick out of this. Um, I borrowed the neighbor's jet ski and rode as quickly as I could because the reliable Wi-Fi that I was depending on crashed. And I rode as quickly as the jet ski would go over to Cleveland's house, which is just around the corner. I'm sitting on the end of their dock with my feet holding the Sea-Doo into place because I didn't even have time to rope it up when I got here. And I'm holding it as the waves bash against the dock. So my feet are getting wet every now and then. It's, it's paradise. I love it. Uh, Rob Chalmers is listening live tonight while feeding the dog, the rabbit and the kids in that order uh, because neither the dog nor the rabbit give me attitude or heaps of sarcasm. The rabbit doesn't give attitude? Come on now, Rob. No, uh, unusual for you. Unusual for yeah. you. Uh, uh, let's uh, let's talk about the other classes in the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And what a battle we've got in GT Daytona shaping up in very, very difficult uh, conditions. Alvaro Parent and Catleg coming through to close Cat at least within a point of Madison Snow and Brian yeah. Sellers, who were on the podium with the car that Brian was uh, sure wasn't much more than a seventh or eighth place car. I mean, this is a championship that is going to run and run. And we had the we brought the news here this time last week. That car, in fact, I've just seen the trailer pull in. And that, uh, that 86 car with the XM Series sponsorship will be here. So Kat and Alvaro are back in for at least one more round. And I am so excited to see what they can do. Catherine finished second there last year. Alvaro's gotten a couple of wins there in the World Challenge Series. So he's very familiar with Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. And like Brian and Madison, very consistent. You look at how well they've done this season. And it's not been taking the wins when they weren't up for offer, looking into things, if you will. It has been that taking the podium positions when they can get them. Realistically, I don't know how the second half of the season is going to play out because the Paul Miller racing car is always strong in the latter half of the season. And last year, we saw a big drop-off in the MSR team in the second half of the season. They had a couple of races where both cars DNF'd, and it was really upsetting. I don't know if they're going to bounce back to that. I don't know if maybe it's just something about the tracks we go to in the second half of the season that don't work for the Acura NSX GT3 as well as they do, say, a Lamborghini. Um, but I can't wait to see how this all wraps out. I kind of hope that they tie at the end of the season so that it's it's not anybody being a champion by themselves and that all three of them can take it and it goes all the way back on countback. But what a race. And I'm still trying to figure out, John, where did that Turner BMW come from? I, I just don't uh, know. Uh, it, it had the Klingon cloaking device on, I think, for for most yeah. of of the race. Uh, of course, the win was down to the guys from Lant rather throwing their toys out of the pram, felt they'd been wrongly penalised for entering a closed pit. Now, in the intervening time, I have managed, uh, through the help of a number of people, to be able mm. to look at the timings of when the... Uh, yellow yellows were called and when the car entered the pits and there were nearly nine seconds after the yellows were called before they entered the pits now in fairness there is sometimes a bit of leeway given uh, on those if you are already committed to the pit lane and it would be more dangerous for you to try to get out of the pit lane than go in and and the Corvette number three may have fallen into that because it's not when the lights necessarily come on. It's when it's called over the radio. Yes. Um, and uh, the Corvette was a, just 
well, it's only timed to the full second. So somewhere between two and three seconds, the Corvette mm. uh, was after the yellow was uh, was called. But it was between eight and nine seconds for the um, for the land car. Um, and I I really hope that's the, not not the last time we see the land guys because they've been super competitive, but they've been caught up in a couple of controversies now. One at Daytona and one. Uh, in the sale in six hours at the Glen. Yeah, and the plan is still for them to run at Petit Le Mans. We will see when we get there if the truck actually does arrive and uh, the car is on it and the, and the drivers show up and all that. The truth of the matter is, though, John, that these guys love racing. They won Petit Le Mans last year. I can't mm. see them not coming back to defend that title, even with everything that's happened this year, even with the... Uh, issue at Daytona with the refueling with the issue with the pit lane light here ultimately you got to win by racing clean and they want to prove that they can do that there's no doubt they've got a very fast Audi and they're a very well drilled team um, I, 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 again I said in the broadcast I'll say again here none of these decisions by race control are made in any way arbitrarily they work on the evidence no. that they have in front of them and they've got way more screens than we do and the teams do and the other thing the point i made and i, and I think this is important to remake this point this is not a decision that's made in isolation with no ability for the team to discuss it with race control because of the swiss switched message system that the teams have access to here yeah and the other thing is you mentioned the screens and all the data and information that they have access to in race control, when they see that a car is in peril, they make a decision based on how severe the accident is. They try to give everyone an opportunity to get into the pit lane. But if the accident is that bad, and to be honest, I can't That's remember ex exactly what it was for when the yellow came out. But I do remember it was a very quick yellow called. So they are worried not only about the safety of the driver, but the safety of the corner marshals who are running out there to make sure if that driver is okay. So it's all about safety, and it's not about trying to screw anyone over on purpose by turning on the lights and going, oh, the land car is right about there. Let's flip them on now. No, that's <laughs> not how they work. <laughs> no, ab absolutely not. That's a good point. Well made. Uh, GT Le Mans at the weekend was a, a pretty deep dogfight. We saw <laughs> at various times during the six hours, uh, everybody except BMW have a, have a go. That BMW is still uh, a little bit off the pace, still a very new concept that car as well of course and we saw yeah. uh, a similar uh, a similar slight lack of pace um it, we've seen that in the wac although le mans things seem to be a little bit better till they had some issues uh, with the car mm. suspension wasn't it uh, with that car it was. ultimately if you'd asked me beforehand i would have said ford or porsche would have won uh, ford won um porsche uh, weren't quite as, as as competitive at the end when it was getting hotter as I thought they might be. I normally tend to think of slick hot tracks as Porsche territory. Uh, and Corvette still getting good championship points. So I think everybody comes away, possibly from BMW, with a bit of a smile in GTLM. BMW are hoping for a little bit of help. There's no doubt about that. Uh, they seem to get it every other race, and they seem to be really competitive every other race. So whether or not that's them playing a long-term game and thinking ahead to races coming up into the season, maybe that they want to perform better there, looking at the BOP on the page that they were given, realizing that they weren't going to have an opportunity to go up against uh, the competition with Corvette and Ford and Porsche, maybe they were holding their cards in a little bit closer to the chest. They did look really quick. 
at certain times, like you said. But really, I mean, going into the weekend, John, it looked like the 67s race to lose. They were fastest in every practice session. And then along came a boy named Joey Hand who wanted to win for his country on America's birthday and his brother from another mother, Dirk Mueller, who just snuck to the front and stole the win. That was the first time that those two had won the six hours of the Glen, which I'm fascinated by that it took Joey that long to get it done. He yeah. got a win there in 2004, but it wasn't the six hour. But uh, yeah, some of the front runners early on, I'm thinking about the 912 Porsche. They didn't make it in during one of the caution periods when the 911 and 67 had. Uh, wonder where they would have been had they come in during that one because it was pretty close to the end of the race. But it, it really was one of those races where getting toward the end of the race, you're thinking, hmm, we've really got three cars at the front, the three that finished on the podium, 66, 3, and 911. Any one of them at any given point in time could lead this race and win. Which one is it going to be? Well, you know, I'm a little happy at least that uh, for out of those three, the car that had never won the race won it because that's pretty cool. Antonio Garcia and Mags got it a few years back. And uh, Pile and Tandy took it in 2015, of course. Uh, you're heading down here to join me tomorrow. We're on the air on Friday. First up on IMSA Radio for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Free Practice one, uh, I'll be heading down every... in the rental car, by the way, not on the jet ski. That would be a very I know, I really want to, I want to see you on the jet ski and how you're going to make the last <laughs> few miles where there's no... Uh, you'd get to Peterborough. You could probably get to Peterborough right on the waterfront. I think I think you'd be fine uh, yeah. on that. Um, uh, the uh, This is a track that is, in some ways, uh, it's not quite as long, but it's quite similar in layout in terms of the up and down and the twisties and a fast bit uh, as as Watkins Glen, but not quite the billiard table smooth uh, surface. So I, I don't expect the the global cars to be quite so competitive here. They weren't far off last year, though, remember, John. And uh, also it's a track where a lot of stuff tends to go wrong in the race. Attitudes flare up, drivers get a little bit hot under the collar, and stuff that seems to be going perfectly according to plan often doesn't. So I love this race. Um, one big thing of note that we should talk about, it, it says on the entry list that we have 34 cars, but we don't. We have 33 cars. And why is that? Well, it's because the Tequila Patron ESM team had a very rough Watkins Glen. Both cars pulled uh -huh. out before the end of the first hour. Engine failure on both cars. They didn't have an extra spare because remember the 22 went through one in qualifying as well. So we're only going to get one of those Nissan DPIs. That will be the number two, and it will be one driver from each car. So Pippo Durrani will share with Ryan Dial. And that will be a very interesting car to watch because that whole team is really looking for some form of redemption. What happens in the past, John, when one car goes out early on in a week, the other one just seems to get stronger? I'm thinking Corvette in 2015 at Le Mans. We might just see that sort of form happen from ESM. Which one do you take out? Um, I mean, the, which one's better placed in the championship, I suppose? You have to keep going. Well, well they're, they're not really worried about championship uh, because they are so far down in the standings coming into this weekend. That's why they've elected to have Pippo and Ryan share a car, one driver ah. from each. And it's yes, not an easy decision. It's not one taken lightly. But Pippo only ran last year. He was really fast and then had the comprehensive engine failure going into turn one. Uh, and Ryan is a driver who knows 
Motorsport very well. He is going to be a star. What uh, What do you expect in the other other categories? Uh, in I'm, I'm, actually, before we leave prototype, um, I, I think one of the teams that are probably most disappointed at the weekend would be Penske. Acura, Acura uh, Penske yeah. team, uh, be- because they look good all weekend. And if I'd been putting money on for a win, I, I would have put them on the on either or both of the two white cars to be uh, right there or thereabouts. And it just didn't happen for them again at the weekend. They did have a very quick car. Dan Cameron, uh, in fact, both of the starting drivers did huh. ma- absolutely man-mountain stints, Ironman stints. Um, I don't but, know how they did it. Well, I've got no clue. I've got no clue, but you know, uncharacteristically, a couple of mistakes. Then we had a gearbox issue uh, for the, that was the Montoya car, as that car no, was. No, it was Ricky Taylor was the, and uh, Elio. The, yeah, it was the Castroneves yeah. car. You're absolutely right, As just as he'd taken the lead. Uh, I mean, those guys, they, they're not used to having uh, to play second fiddle to to anyone. And, and after they were so dominating uh, at mid-Ohio earlier in the season, I, I thought they were on... You know, I thought they were on a bit of a roll. They need to come back strongly here. They do. And the only question I have for them is have they tested at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park? Because I don't think they have. They were super strong at Mid-Ohio, a track which they had tested a bunch at before. Um, so this weekend might be a bit of an experiment for them. I know they had a quite a good test at uh, Watkins Glen back in June. So it, it's really going to be... Honestly, John, throw a dart. Um, (laughs) I don't know who's going to win this weekend. I think Wayne Taylor Racing is due for a good weekend. It's been more than a year since they've won a race. Uh, In fact, if you look at a team like ESM, who has three wins in the last calendar year, and you consider that the prototype champions last year have zero within the last calendar year, that's pretty staggering. I expect good things from them. Uh, The Whalen Engineering car is always strong at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Mazda. How about Mazda? They always won really well up north of the border, not too far from Multimatic. Mm. And those guys deserve a huge thank you after rebuilding the 77 last weekend. It, it really could be anyone's day. Uh, yeah, well, yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I never know what to say about uh, GT Le Mans here. Uh, this is Corvette's country. It's GM. They've got a yep. manufacturing point just down the road at, at Oshawa. There'll be a lot of GM people here. There's a lot of GM uh, cars parked here for the Ronfellows driving school, including Corvettes. They like to put on a show here, and they've been competitive here in the past. Well, we've had five races so far this year. Both Fords have won. Both Porsches have won. One of the Corvettes have won. So we're coming into Corvette's home country. I think that things might just be smiling on that poor Corvette because it is the only one where uh, the sister car has found the victory lane. I don't know that BMW will be any stronger here because this is such a fast track. I really hope that they are because I love seeing them when they're super competitive. It's it's going to be a dogfight, and it really comes down to pit strategy on this one. With two hours and 40 minutes, you have enough time to screw things up on track, but also you have time to get things right in the pit lane. And that's normally where the GCLM race is won and lost at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. But you got to just feel for all those Ron fellows and Corvette fans out there, John. They want a yellow car to win at the end of the day. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, if it's difficult to pick a winner in GT Le Mans at, at any given time, um, it's possibly <laughs> uh, it's it's probably impossible to do it in GT Daytona. Um, mm. 
I, I, I like the attitude that the Paul Miller Racing Lambo guys are taking. They're taking what they've got there. They are undoubtedly thinking championship. Um, I think, they, as I said before, I think they got a bit of a points bonus uh, at the weekend. But there were some very good drives there. I thought Patrick Lindsay drove brilliantly again in the Park Place Porsche, along with uh, Jörg, of course. Porsches have normally gone well here, and it's been a while since we've seen a Porsche at the front of the GT Daytona field. It has, but our Porsche Spectrum uh, got a little bit smaller because, of course, being the endurance race, we had the Park Place Motorsport car. We don't have them back this weekend. Uh, we do have the other right motorsport uh, car, so the number 16 of Mike Shine and Wolf Hensler. Uh, that yes, will point. be back. But here's, here's the thing, John, and we'll talk about them right now because we're not going to talk about them again until the end of the weekend when they've won the race. Right Motorsport, the number 58. That car has been <laughs> cursed from the start of the season. So Christina Nielsen goes well at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Pat Long's won there so many times, his name is probably carved on a bleacher somewhere. That car could be the ultimate dark horse this weekend, and it would be really nice to see them do well. Uh, other than that, the usual suspects in GT Daytona? Uh, yes, Kemi Kabul back this weekend with uh, Mikhail Grenier. Um, so that will be a two-driver pairing for the weekend. We've got Ben Keating and Jerome Bleak Mullen. Uh, Bleak Mullen, who's been over testing at Spa for a couple of days, so he decided not to just come spend a couple of days in paradise, but instead rack up some air miles, as have a couple other drivers in the paddock. I don't get them. They're, they're crazy. Um, I'm trying to think if we had any other big surprises on the entry list. Oh, the, the uh, Turner Motorsport car, the one that won last weekend, None of the same drivers from last weekend. We get Bill Oberlin back in that car, and he will be joined by Robbie Foley. So that will also be an exciting car to watch going into the that, weekend. That's, that's not exactly disadvantaging that disadvantage. No. Giving that car a disadvantage. Sorry. There you so, go. Don't try and make a fair bit of um, you Those two guys, I, I've seen Robbie win here, I'm fairly certain, in MX5. If he didn't win, he yep. was certainly battling for the lead. Uh, Bill Oberlin knows how to pedal anything, and if it's got a BMW roundel on it, then much the better. So Bill keep an power. eye out for uh, Bill Power. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's Continental Tires are here again this weekend. We won't be seeing... Um, both of the Windward cars uh, after the nasty accident um, for uh, Bryce Ward uh, last weekend. Um, he uh, the, the car, I think, needs a bit of work doing on it, and Bryce got his bell rung just a little bit. Um, however, good news is that Ted Giovannis Motorsport did get another car. Uh, it got to Watkins Glen, actually, but they couldn't... What was the word he used? Imza-ize it enough, yes. uh, quickly enough. So that car will be in Imza, full in respect this weekend. So uh, we will have the two TGM uh, AMGs in the Continental Tires, which goes back to two hours this weekend, of course. Yeah, and that will be a very fun race. We're missing a couple other of our uh, normal people on the entry list. Of course, not having the entry list pulled up in front of me, I can't tell you who they are, but... Uh, we've got all of the major championship runners and riders. The Compass 360 Audis and TCR are going to be fighting it out for the win honors because, of course, this is Carl Thompson's home ground. He's uh, and his wife not too far away from here uh, in Toronto. So it's a matter of which one of those cars wins this weekend because that's how it's been all year. Kuno Whitmer and Rodrigo Salas doing a brilliant job in the 74 and Tom Long and Britt Casey Jr., 
taking both of the endurance race wins. They want to prove that they can win in the shorter race as well. And uh, we know that they can do it. So that'll be fun to watch. Uh, we only have one of the EE Eurosports, EE E Euro parts. See, now you shared it with me. One of those Audis because the Kenton Cook and Tom O'Garman car not being put into use this weekend, but we might see them back a little bit later this season. And please, please, please bring them back because that was just a lot of extra fun. Uh, Michael Johnson and Steven Simpson looking for their first win. They've only done two races so far this year. Fourth in the first race, third in the second, which means that this weekend they will finish second. But we do get... Uh, I, I love the way you um, are so confident about... It just has to impression. happen. Yeah, it's I numbers. Uh, we, we do have the uh, the prototypes uh, back this weekend, the LMP3s and the Mazda-powered uh, prototypes as well this weekend. been a while since we've seen those cars. Yeah, and um, the only really big change on that entry list, we have no Wyatt Schwab. Uh, driver of the number 18 Performance Tech Motorsports uh, MPC car. He broke his hand boating, which I say with my feet on a Sea-Doo. I'm fully aware of the irony of that. Um, but he will not be in for this round of the championship. Another hour and a half long race. I've been talking with Ian Halen quite a bit uh, this week about driving these cars again, getting back into them, trying to get back into the swing of testing. And they've got quite a good amount of track time before our weekend really even kicks off, though, John, because on Friday morning, there's basically a three and a half hour promoter test for them to go out and learn the track and figure out not only which way it goes, but how these LMP3 cars handle around Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. I think that might be the dark horse race of the weekend, quite frankly. It's on Sunday morning. It'll be an hour and a half, like I said, but that might just wind up being the perfect thing to whet our appetite before we go into the big show a little bit later on that afternoon. Okay, Cher. Um, everybody's complaining that listening to the water lapping around is making them want to go to the lavatory, mid midweek water sport, <laughs> as, uh, uh, as this would be. I'm sorry, people. I will hang up with John and go get a mint chip ice cream if that makes you feel better. Okay, that does make me feel better as well. One thing before you go, we missed a big start at the weekend. Um, however, the driver concerned missed it as well. Uh, he only worked this out when he got uh, up to uh, Ontario, to Toronto. Jan Magnussen uh -oh. had his 700th race start at the Glen last week. So he'll be starting 701 uh, this weekend wow. here at CTMP. Uh, Too bad it wasn't 705 because that. that's the area code for up here. So that would have been even oh, better. That, oh, see, so you close. and your numbers. Thanks, Shay. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the time. See you, See tomorrow, you tomorrow, John. Shay Adam joining us live from a Sea-Doo and uh, a, uh, other personal watercraft are available, of course, uh, and a duck up there on the uh, lakes at Muskoka, a little bit further north from where I am at the moment, a Canadian Tire Motorsport, uh, uh, Motorsport Park. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is uh, Series 13, Episode uh, number 25. Alan Prosser. Uh, it's just uh, tweeted in out to your team and saying the lapping water noises from Shea's report earlier on made me think I'd just walk the dogs because I live next to a lake. Uh, Pete Garrett says, years since I got to listen to Midweek Motorsport, I'm prepping, prepping some Japanese curry for dinner later. Ooh, that sounds very good. And Richard Robertson is calling uh, uh, he's calling Shea the American Anika Rice. Oh, OK, then. <laughs> uh 
Right, coming up after Midway Motorsport tonight, our exclusive content from the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. You remember I was out there, talked about it last week. Took me a couple of days to get all of the audio together. We played some bits and pieces out the weekend, but we haven't played it all yet. So that's coming up straight after Midweek Motorsport tonight. Uh, and uh, includes, obviously, some in-depth chat with Reese Millen, who went up the mountain in the Mobile One, Bentley Bentayga. Worth a listen to. Stay on tonight on a bumper Wednesday night. Uh, with any luck, I might be able to say good evening to Declan Brennan. Dex, are you on the line? No, he's not. Uh, just one second. Try and get Dex up. We are doing this by uh, remote tonight, and uh, hopefully... I've just realised I can't type and talk. Declan, I know, is listening at the moment. So uh, let's see if I can get him on the line. Hello, Declan. That worked very well. See, that eventually, it, it, we're, we're doing everything a bit um, oddly tonight, uh, as you might have guessed. But it, it's kind of coming together, using all of, uh, all of our technology, not necessarily all on the right. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. So it's essentially, it's, a, it's like a... Uh... Uh, interpretive dance version of a uh, or freeform jazz version of a uh, of midweek motorsport. I like the I like the freeform jazz bit. Uh, I don't think you can sing along to it, but uh, you should be tapping your feet at some stage. I I, I think that kind of works. Kind of works. A uh, couple of things um, to talk about. Um, touched on this earlier on. What a great event, Watkins Glen and the Seal and Six Hours weekend is. It's it's become a real. Jewel. I mean, bear in mind, I came to it late because I never got there in the Grand Dam years. That's become a real jewel in the crown, a mid-season jewel in the crown for IMSA, hasn't it? Yeah, yes, it has. Uh, it is. It's one of those things where, John, as a, as a as a competitor in the event, uh, it's one of those things where where it's on the calendar and it's yes, oh yeah, it's Walker's Glen, and, and and it's like it's just in some respects, it's just another waypoint on, on as you navigate your way through the season. But when you get there and and, and as you drive up to the place and suddenly you see these huge grandstands and, and, and the track layout and you remember, yeah, this is this is the home of the US Grand Prix. And and, and when, you, when you go to, you know, when you go to a, a Seneca Lodge uh, for dinner or a drink after that and they're showing like you're looking at the stuff on the walls and literally the, the wreaths from Fittipaldi and Peterson and Hunt. And it's 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 kind of remarkable. And it's but but as an event, it's fabulous. It's a great event. I will say hats off to every single person who paid in to sit in almost intolerable conditions on a, on Saturday and Sunday. The track temperatures were so, so hot. It's just almost unbearable. As far as the season, we were just talking uh, about the the championship uh, situation and the, the race last weekend. I thoroughly enjoyed both the, the four-hour version and the six-hour versions of the two uh, main races. Obviously, you're in, involved with teams. Uh, is it a very different approach for the teams to come to those longer races? Normally, Conti, two hours, and the IMSA WeatherTech Championship is uh, two hours, 30, two hours, 40 kind of, kind of races. Is it a very different mindset when you go there and a very different way to prep, or is it just basically the cars are out there longer? Well, Let's park the four-hour Conti race just for one moment and spare uh, on that format. Just to, to preparation, uh, yes, is extremely important because this, these are back-to-backs. Like uh, we we just had that event. We're now in in uh, in Canada, 
and uh, we are uh, we'll go to Canada, and then there'll be a very short break, and then we're at Lime Rock. So we're so for a lot of the teams, they have to have homes away from home. Uh, a lot of the Conti teams, for example, stayed after the race to prep the cars in the uh, in the garages uh, on Sunday during. So basically, while the while the, the the main race was going on, many of the Conti teams were, were were refreshing cars and doing what they can to get the cars ready for 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 this week. Uh, in some cases, I'll give you an example. Windward Racing, uh, who I'm working with, they've actually set up a temporary shop in uh, North Carolina, where they will be. That's effectively their base between, uh, during this stint until they get to Road America. So they effectively have a home away from home, which which makes things easier, but also makes things difficult if there's any incidents. Like for example, they had with the 57 uh, last weekend. So so there there are uh, scheduling in some respects. Uh, makes uh, logistics a real challenge for these teams. But, but for the four-hour race itself, ironically, everybody really loves those races, John, in Conti, and I think we'd like to see more of them. I'd, I'd happily, as a competitor, see a, a series of eight four-hour races. Really? As, as a, yeah, as opposed to, I think I'd rather see, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the guys would rather see a shorter series, but with more four-hour races, because they're just so, the pros love them, because they get, you know, and, and there's more strategy, uh, I think the the AMs love them because they get more time in the cars. Uh, it's I I I get the impression that if you polled the paddock, I think you'd probably see more people wanting to do uh, uh, more four hour races. I, I I'm a big fan. Um, I know you, you keep your eyes on uh, what is going on around the rest of the American side of things. Oh, we were talking about McLaren earlier on. Eric Boulier um, deciding to step step away. Uh, uh, step away from the McLaren team. Um, some people saying that that might have an impact on McLaren coming to IndyCar. They've been talking with Andretti. They've been talking with Rahal Letterman Lanigan about doing a, a full season next year. There was even a rumour that Scott Dixon was uh, had been approached by uh, the guys at, at McLaren. Hearing anything about that? And, and, and uh, I mean, what do you make of of, of that situation? Well, I think I think uh, what I make of that is that it's probably I think it's probably likely. Uh, I I would suggest that the 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 Gilles de Ferran, uh, uh position, his greatest strengths I think would be uh, what he can offer with regards to uh, U.S. Open wheel racing, and so that would make kind of uh, sense that he's involved from that perspective, and. Let's like John. Uh, I know we've probably talked about this before, and and let's you know take this in, uh, put this in perspective. The the McLaren Formula One catering budget would probably pay for a uh, a, a, a solid a season of IndyCar uh, with the brand, and and as a brand exercise, being there, even if it's only in name, while running a, uh, obviously a, a spec chassis and a, and somebody else's engine, uh, it all it can do is 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 you know. Uh, positively promote the uh, McLaren brand as they take on the other luxury car makers, which is obviously uh, they have ambitions to, to sell a lot more cars. Uh, they have uh, a massive marketplace in the North America that needs to be tapped into. Uh, you know, they need to increase their level of dealerships, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things, uh, you know, need to have a spearhead. And if your if your brand name is appearing, you know, with, with big stars like Alonso uh, at the Indy 500, then it, it makes a lot of sense. So, I, I that's a long way of saying, yeah, I think it probably does mean we're gonna we're gonna see uh, 
a, a, an enhanced and broader presence in in uh, in IndyCar. And you know, as I said, back to the budget thing, it just makes sense. It's 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 doable in a way that uh, uh, you know uh, uh, budgets are manageable in a way that Formula One simply isn't. You know, how, how you are a keen follower, um, and I, I, I hate you know kicking someone when they're down. How do you read this whole McLaren situation? It seems to be going from from bad to worse. T- take away the the indie thing, but that they they really seem to be struggling uh, at the moment in everything they do. It was all down to the engine. The engine's been changed. It hasn't made any difference. Um, and you've got. Alonso, potentially still, for my money, one of the best drivers, uh, if not, uh, it would be a toss-up between him and, and Lewis, I think, between now who's the the quote-unquote best driver. Depends how you, you judge it, of course. But you've got Alonso, is clearly unhappy. You've got to try and hold on to him. They're not in great shape at the moment. No, and, and it's one of these things where, you know, we've seen this with in in, uh, in, in other sports, even in in. in I'll give you the best example I can think of, uh, which is not exactly, uh, but something like Rangers Football Club. Rangers, a uh, you know massive organisation, just uh, you know, uh, granted uh, with with huge fan base, massive uh, season tickets, uh, look deep, solid, solid revenue. But, this is but Glasgow Rangers you're talking about. Glasgow yeah. Rangers, yeah, mismanagement to the point where they ended up effectively going out of business. You know, when you look at that on the outside, you say, how is that even possible? And it was kind of death by a thousand cuts. It was, it was bad decision after bad decision. It was, it was, you know, uh, uh, you know, dumb financing up, up uh, 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 choices, and and this is the same at McLaren. It's one of these things where we could be in a position in two or three years, and we're looking at it going, how did we end up here? Where they're, you know, they they have no primary sponsor. Uh, they are now throwing stuff at the wall in terms of management to see, uh, you know, uh, it's almost like the, the Hail Mary uh, to see if they can change things around. They they need two things. They only need a massive, massive sponsor like a, like a Red Bull or they need uh, they need a, a competitive engine package and, and an OEM partnership. And they're not easy to come by. And yeah. as they continue to, to as they continue to to lose out in terms of, uh, you know, uh, development internally and, and all these things because the money just isn't there. You know, there's only so long. They're not Ferrari. They're not the Fiat group. They can't, they can't prop up the business entirely through road car sales because, you know, their road car sales are, are excellent, but they're, but like Porsche sell more, you know, uh, Cayennes than uh, McLaren sell, uh, you know, road cars in total globally. You know, it's just, if you think about it, they're, they're in a, it, it, something has to change drastically, and uh, and uh, we could be. Don't be surprised if we're, if in in two or three years that there is there's we're in a position where they're uh, they are oh, taking pay drivers. Like we, we, you, I heard your show last week, and you talked about Williams, and Williams are are probably three or four or five years further down the road in terms of that, where they yes. they went through the pay driver thing, and then they they took a smaller sponsor because I had a big name in Martini, and we all know that wasn't a massive amount of money, and you know, and there's all sorts of, and and they're now just clinging on, and there's no reason why that can't happen again. The finances in F1 are so out of control that there's no reason why that can't continue to happen to names that are marquee, that are the marquee names of the sport. It's extraordinary the fall from grace that McLaren has uh, suffered, having having been right at the top for so very long. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 13, Episode 25. Declan Brennan uh, joining us uh, on the line. Um, am, we, am we we're about... say or mention. Am I allowed to mention? Have you mentioned the uh, the 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 
from a sports car perspective, just before we skip away from Watkins Glen, just uh, I am so thrilled that a effectively an off the shelf car won in a spectacular yes. way. Uh, I think that is so fantastic for the sport, and to, and and the irony is, of course, that that. And I know I've 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 a, a very some very good relations with the guys at JDC, and I know that they they've sat with their head on their hands week in week out thinking this is just not going to work. We need to go and get a uh, a DPI, well, and the, I know there's rumours about that now, but but the yes, irony we is we talked about that earlier, yes. Yeah, and and so uh, I but I'm thrilled for them, and obviously Stephen's move is is just I I, met, I chatted to him briefly after and said that the people will be talking about that for years. It's it's absolutely just phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, and for, uh, as a that, DPI, that's going to make every highlight reel of every highlight reel of every highlight reel for five years. You know, that's going to be as famous as the pass at the corkscrew uh you know that that is one of those moves that you're just going to see over and over again and and you know the jdc miller stallings guys are just absolutely they were on cloud nine and i think that the idea of them converting their auricas as we said earlier on in the show decks um with some manufacturer support so that they can take on the wayne taylors and the roger penskis they are completely reinvigorated by that victory and they and they want to go on they realize that there is a, a limitation as to what you can do with a global car. Yeah, go ahead, Jax. And John, sorry, are you there? Hello. Yes, we are. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and and the uh, uh, the the they are reinvigorated, and and the the beauty is that uh, that that in some respects. Uh, I'd like to think that a Hyundai coming in could open up people's eyes as to what is possible in air. You know, if if they can succeed, I it, we could be like on the on on the cusp of something very special, uh, a prototype level. If if we can, oh, manufacturers could come in with with styling cues, with with, with, with something that really look that represents their brand, uh, at, in some way that's cost effective. I think that is an absolutely fantastic way forward. And and. We've given everybody has given IMSA kicking over the years for various reasons, but this, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is one of the best decisions they've ever made. They've been really smart about it, and Scott Atherton deserves a massive, massive amount of credit uh, no, for, for the way compl- that path looks now. I, I, I completely agree. I, I, I've been trying to get Hyundai and Kia, same group, of course, involved in prototype racing since 2000. And, you know, they can't do it in P2 by branding an engine now. That was taken out of the equation. Uh, and DPI is, the, is definitely the way forward to put a toe in the water before potentially doing something else, which may or may not be at Le Mans or, or whatever. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Declan Brennan is uh, on the line. Um, we were talking about IndyCar McLaren there. Just a, a quick thing to, to wrap up on. Um, no secrets here. Uh, Phoenix coming to the end of its... Uh, contract with IndyCar in April, that the one-mile circuit, uh, and hearing that that hasn't been or isn't going to be renewed for 2019, although the uh, the track president uh, seeing that he wants to leave the door open, Brian Sperber, um, number of potential uh, potential replacements uh, for that uh, Richmond Raceway. Chicago Land Auto Club and uh, getting a little bit of traction, um, Homestead Miami, which did have uh, cart and Indy car from mid 90s, I think, through till the 2000s. Uh, 
Phoenix has struggled to to get a crowd decks uh, uh, the last few years, and it, although the racing on the mile oval, I really really like. Any any strong feelings or ideas about which one of those uh, which one of those re- possible replacements uh, might might get the nod? Well, historically, my my. Uh, historically, my my thoughts would be something like Chicagoland, which which in the in the in the racing league days, for example, had 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 just pretty much every every finish there was was uh, was phenomenal, and and that kind of that side of things makes me think, yeah, I'd love to go back there. But, but ultimately, I just don't see any of those markets drawing big crowds, uh, you know. And this is something that that the series seems to be in a spiral on. It's like it goes away from a place because they can't make it work, and then they go somewhere else, and then they go back, and and it's it's uh, it's one of these things where uh, equity of the calendar is so important, Agreed. so important, and and Data it's one equity. of the things that date equity, calendar equity is is at the state of the series every year. It's one of those phrases that that uh, Scott Atherton uses, and I love it because it's absolutely yeah. correct. Because mentally, and I've talked about this for many years about all sorts of series. Mentally, you just know when you get to a certain part of the year, you know where you're going, and you can't build momentum when uh, you're chopping and changing dates and, and every year. And, and so almost to the point where it doesn't matter where you go. If you've if you were having to do that, you're, you're going to struggle with a, with a fan base, you know, because they have so many other things to do. But if they know, if your fan base knows, oh, it's the middle of August, that means I've, I've got to go and book me tickets for uh, IMSA at, at, at Road America, you know, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Or, you know, is, that's you, you, you can't do that when you're constantly chopping. And, and so calendar equity is hugely important. And it's just... Uh, it's one of these things where, yes, they need ovals. Of course they do. And it's important that they, that they have a, 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 a calendar that has enough of them on it. But it's it's tough. And it's tough for promoters. There are clearly promoters who want to give it another shot. But but it's one of these things where in two or three years, we might see exactly the same thing, where it becomes a dwindling list of, God, I sound terrible negative. Can we, have, can we talk about something that's really, really fun and positive now, please? So everything I've said yeah. is terrible. No, I, no, but... I, I, was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, more t- yeah we, Nick was very excited, very excited about. No, no but but you're right, and uh, and successful series, you you're not going to move the Daytona 500 and put it at the end of the year. You're not going to move the Rolex. Um, you know that in October it's the first 1000. You know that in the middle of June it's Le Mans 24 Hours. And and you and I have talked about events that transcend series as well, Dex, and, and the ideal situation to get into is to say well actually i want to win more tool petit le mans um you know if i'm not in with a chance of the series i'm still going to go to more tool petit le mans because i want to win and that's an event that's a perfect example because that's established itself in what is actually still a relatively short time and it's been established for quite some time um having only been running what 20 years i mean it's an extraordinary way that that's got into oh, yeah. consciousness people but, but part but you know, of that is because it, that. it stayed around the same time yes absolutely but but that that's a it's a slightly separate issue but it's it's an interesting one of the lessons what you've just talked about is that that we uh, i think with the gt3 platform as a perfect example and sports cars in general there's so many options for 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 guys to go and do do stuff now and to say yeah i want to go and win this and 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 the equity of events like like uh dubai and uh, oh, sorry, the calendar the, the, of like Dubai being when it is, and and Bathurst and Spa, and and Daytona means that uh, there is all these opportunities for people long in advance to plan. Yeah, I'm going to go do this, this, and this, and and uh, and it's a combination of 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 uh, reputation of the event and being at the same 
time every year. It just allows these things to grow. And and, and particularly that, that, that idea that you had about uh, people wanting to go and, and compete in these events, I think that is becoming, that's increasingly important for, uh, for gentlemen drivers. Again, based on some of the conversations I've been having with some of the people we work with, where they're saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, series are fun, but I want to go and do this and this, and then I want to go there and do that. And it's all possible. You know, because they it's, all like the big it, events are all at the same time. All the, so you can plan. You can say, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do the Nurburgring 24. Then I'm gonna go do Bathurst, and etc., etc., etc." It's a, and, it's and that's and that's why global formula for the, for that type of racing is really important. Which we could fill another two hours with. Declan, thank you very much for jumping in at late notice. That was excellent. Thank you. Do we see you here this weekend at CTMP? I'll be there. I'll, I'll be there as soon as Faulkner arrives uh, at the rental car at the Enterprise rental car. Uh, he and I will be jumping in a car and we'll catch up. And I'll I might even see you later for a point. Oh, that sounds very, very dangerous uh, indeed. Dex, thanks for joining us. Magnificent, no magnificent problem. stuff. Declan Brennan live on Midweek Motorsport for uh, the last few minutes on the Series 25 episode, uh, Series 13, Episode 25. Series 25, my goodness, wishing me life away already. Uh, great thanks to Kez Cobb and Eve Hewitt, who between them were responsible adults and producing the show tonight. And Kez, we did get that on the air and we'll have some more of that. Uh, this weekend, marking your card now, I'm not going to go the times because it's a ridiculous amount of, of content for you. RS2 will be IMSA and the all of the action from here at Canadian Time Motorsport Park starting off on Friday afternoon local time. Check RadioLamont.com for the full schedule with FP1 of the WeatherTech Championship. In addition, we have VLN4, Johnny Palmer and Chris Dawes making his Radio Show Limited debut live on the air. We've got the 24 hours of Port in Mao, and that's Paul Truswell, Ben Constant-Juris, Joe Bradley, Nick Damon and Diana Binks. And for the first time, by the way, they're all in sound and vision at various stages. Uh, Of course, you've got used to that. And for the first time in sound and vision, we've done sound before, but we've never done sound and vision. Uh, We'll be at Classic Le Mans Saturday and Sunday uh, for that. Actually, I think there might even be uh, a little bit of uh, Friday practice. Well, on that, I haven't had a chance to check that. Uh, So check out the website for that. Uh, Our Classic Le Mans team is uh, Martin Haven, Jim Roller and Bruce Jones uh, down at the Circuit de la Sarte this weekend. All in sound and vision. All of the tall blokes. We've sent all of the tall blokes. All the big names have gone for that. Thanks again to Dex and to Nick Damon and to Shea. I hope you've enjoyed our freeform jazz look at Midweek Motorsport. Uh, There's no time to explain because the Lama needs to get out on what looks a very quiet track in a very powerful uh, GM product. Yes, I, I I think we might have to release 650 horsepower. See you next week. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.